Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever Dog I used to think that this was my town What a stupid thing to think I hear you biting off a brain now I myself am on the brain I used to want to be a real man I don't know what that even means I just want you in my arms again And we can search each other's dreams What's up, Three Bs? What's up, Diamond Dogs? What's up, Athletic Gerbils? I really have committed to saying all of that. It's Rhea Butcher, the host of this podcast, Three Swings, which is a podcast about baseball and other things. Uh, I hope you're here for both of those. Um, if you're here just for the baseball, welcome. And if you're here just for the other things, I appreciate you. And if you're here for both of them, welcome, and I appreciate you. Um, I want to, first of all, apologize for the second off week live Instagram not happening. I am really getting the hang of doing like regular social media things. Um, it's never been my strong suit, although just like, uh, sort of mindless usage of social media has been in the past. (laughs) So, um, I really thought it would be easy to do this and get turns out it's difficult. Um, I was out of town on Friday. And so I told y'all I was going to do one on Thursday. And then because I was going out of town Friday, I had a bunch of things I didn't realize I had to do on Thursday. So I, it just didn't happen. And I didn't let you know it wasn't going to happen. So I just want to apologize for all of that because that's not how I would want to be treated. I also know it's like not that big of a deal. So I appreciate your understanding but you know, I'm trying to practice, uh, mindfulness and thoughtfulness and treating people the way that I would like to be treated. So I am sorry for that. And I appreciate your willingness to go along for the ride with this podcast. Um, it's not, um, this podcast is something I'm not going to say that I do it for fun, although I do it for fun. However, I like doing it and there's something here, um, that I don't think is, uh, Uh, Other podcasts have it, other things, but this podcast is a thing that I like to do. And I think that it serves a purpose. I don't know that I could put my finger on it necessarily. Um, You know, people want to hear a different perspective on America's pastime. People also, I don't know, like listening to me talk about shit. Um, And so for that, I'm very grateful. And I keep doing it for that reason because I like it and I want to keep doing it. And I appreciate you listening. Um. And the other stuff is just stuff that I want to also do, but it's 
difficult to schedule. Scheduling is something that I have had a hard, hard time with for most of my life. I've gotten a lot better. So luckily I don't get to uh, say right now that I'm just terrible at it and throw my arms up in the air and act like I don't have to, I don't care. Um, I actually had a very long text conversation with a friend of the show, Dave Ross, uh, who you might know as a comedian um, and also as a podcaster. He has a podcast called Suicide Buddies, which I was on recently, a couple months back. Had a great time on that podcast. Check it out if you haven't yet. And, uh, you know, we have been rescheduling a lunch date for, I think, a couple months now. Um, And I was honest and said, you know, Dave, I have this, like, I have a paper calendar and then I have a phone calendar. And I didn't check my paper calendar and I, I scheduled something with somebody else on our lunch date and I actually have to do that other thing. I'm very sorry about that. It's something that I... I, there's I, I can't there's nothing I can do except for say Dave I'm so sorry can we reschedule I appreciate you and your time and I, I was really looking forward to this and I look forward to going if we're gonna go when it happens and we like had a laugh about it and then we discussed scheduling and how difficult it was and he shared with me his approach and guess what I've adopted some of those things and uh who knows who knows because it's only day two but the things that he told me to do really helped, and I will share them right now because I'm sure you're going, what are they? And I have a tendency in the past to not share them. So uh, number one, he hard set his phone to Pacific Standard Time so that it doesn't change times when you travel. Therefore, the calendar is always set to California time. So here's, here's the benefit for me. I travel for work, and my work is based on a very specific time. I have to be there for a show that starts at 8 in Eastern Standard Time. So if I put that in my calendar while I'm in Los Angeles, I have to be very careful and make sure that I set it to Eastern Standard Time when I put it in. Sometimes that can create problems. If it's just set to always Pacific Standard Time and my phone doesn't change when I get to New York and I just wear a watch, my phone will always show me the right calendar events. This might not apply to you if you're not someone who travels a lot for work. Other thing, only using Google Calendar. I am no longer using iCal. I have had way too many problems and like just issues with iCal not syncing or syncing too many things or bringing in all these extra calendars. I'm done. My friend told me he was having the same problems and that was all I needed. That's it. I thought it was only me that was going through this. I thought I was doing something wrong. I cannot tell you how many arguments I've been in, how many disasters I've had to clean up because I thought something was in my calendar and it wasn't in there only to find that it went to some other random date later on, which was not accurate. Um, User error, maybe, but it seems to me that iCal has some bugs in it. And I've since just gotten rid of those bugs. I just have said goodbye to those bugs. So I'm on Google Calendar only. And to be totally honest, I think the reason that I liked using iCal is because it says the date correctly in the app. And that is not enough. (laughs) On top of using Google Calendar, which here's the thing that I like about Google Calendar. You can change the colors of the events within the same quote calendar. So I like, I don't have to have 
20 different calendars in a single calendar. I can just have the one main calendar and put different colors on things to label them differently. For example, I use red for things that are for sure and that I cannot schedule anything during that time. I use like flamingo for shows and I use uh, just like peacock blue for like my day-to-day stuff, like repeated things like reminders essentially because I use a calendar for reminders. And then also I have implemented Google Keep into my everyday sort of checking things, um, which is a reminders app. And it is so much more effective already in just the first couple days than the Apple Reminders app has ever been for me. Um, You can put full notes in there. You can put task lists. You can put photos in there. And you can also do little drawings, which is cute. Um, And you can save it to your drive. You can do all kinds of things. So, so far, so good. And I will be very honest in in saying that two days is a long amount of time for something to have affected me. (laughs) In this regard, I am somebody who would be like, yes, absolutely. I'd spent a whole day changing everything over. And then literally two days later, I'm not using it anymore. So I am, he, he also, my friend Dave told me to get rid of the paper calendar. I'm not ready to do that yet. There's something about carrying both and having both. I know that seems like tedious and extra, but there are times when I cannot be on my phone and I like to have this paper calendar to sort of slow down and like double check things. Um, And it also forces me to say to people, which is something that I've been trying to practice, when they ask me if I can do something. Now, this is a matter of work, play, pleasure, friendship, literally service, literally anything. I feel the same amount of pressure to say yes. I will say that I feel more pressure to say yes around work than anything else. However, the baseline is the same for everything. And I... That is not a good thing. It's not a good thing to to feel because that pressure that I feel is fear and it's fear around letting somebody down or not getting the right job or failing at business or um, not making any money. All these things just in, in, a, in a second run through my mind. And instead of just letting those things run through my mind and then going and taking a pause, I have had in the past a tendency to say yes and then go, you know what? I actually double check this and I can't. And I have had people do that with me, say yes to me and then have to back out. And I have empathy for them. I don't judge them. I don't, but I don't like it. And so when I realize, like, oh, I don't like it when people do that with me So I can't control other people. I'm going to try to not do that with other people. Not because I assume that they don't like it and therefore don't like me, but just because I don't like it. So I'm not going to do things with other people that I don't like to be done with me. Isn't that like the whole point of the New Testament, essentially? (laughs) Like do unto others as we would do to ourselves. Like that is the exact same. That's the same thing. It's not always the most highfalutin things. Sometimes it's very, and in fact, more, most often it is the tiniest things that we want. It's, there's also a phrase, God is in the details. And 
it's the small things. And I have found in my life, when I take the time to do those small things the way that I would like to have them done unto me, I feel better, just generally. I feel like, oh, that's cool. I feel better having done that instead of saying yes and then almost immediately being like, you know what, I was wrong. And it wasn't that I was wrong. It was that I didn't take the time. And there is a fear to me that that person, if I say, hang on a second, they're going to run away. And like, that's, that's based in history. That's based in childhood stuff. It's based in a lot of things. And so, yeah, it's taken a lot of time for me to do the simplest thing, which is in having that paper schedule and having a, a, and working towards a, a better uh, phone system, I have now been able to say to people, let me check my schedule. I'm going to write it down. And then can I get back to you about that? And do you know what the response has been? Like some people are like, because I have great friends, uh, they're like, wow, that's really great. Some people are jokingly like, hot. <laughs> But my friends that say those things to me help me practice that and help me realize that it's not it's not the end of the world to say, hey, I need a second. It's not the end of the world to say, hey, let me let me take a moment. This is important to me. Let me get back to you about it. And sometimes I have to say, I can't. You know? Um, somebody asked me to do a comedy show. I really wanted to say yes but I was already doing another show. Um, Atsko's, uh, let's go Atsko, which is going to be this Saturday in Los Angeles at the, uh, dynasty typewriter, which you should come to. If you're in Los Angeles, come to that show. It's going to be a lot of fun. And it's also a podcast on forever dog. Um, so I was already doing that show and that is a show that you are on stage for the whole time. And it's also, I think the two year anniversary. So it's a special show. They're always special. They're always important, but this one's a little bit, you know, it's important to be there. I was honored to, to be asked to be on it. Um, and so it's important. And they were, uh, you know, the person asking me to be on the show, like that show ends basically at the same time. And they were like, well, you, we could put you up. And like, I said, you know what? I would really love to say yes because I appreciate you saying asking me to be on the show. However, because I respect the show and I appreciate it so much, I don't want to rush around and I don't think I can leave that other show any earlier than 9.30. And in reality, which I didn't say because I, I didn't really need to say it, I didn't want to be disrespectful to Atsuko's show and have to hustle out of there um, because I've done that and you know what? It's honestly not worth it on either end of the thing. It's just not worth it. And I find myself feeling as though, and like, it's just not true. Um, and if somebody's going to be let down because you have to tell them no one time, then maybe it's not meant to be, you know, and that's okay too. It's totally okay. All of these things are okay. Um, if you're not being rude, being mean, being cruel, then it's totally okay. So all of this is to say, I have recently been working on scheduling and those are the things that I've implemented. And it is, uh, the, the Google aspect of it is all thanks to Dave Ross. Um, so big shout out to my friend, Dave Ross, please use these things. If you want, give them a shot. If you have, uh, scheduling and task stuff that you would love to suggest to me, please feel free to do it. I'm open to hearing it. Would love to hear it. Um, I'm a person who needed to hear a bunch of different things and try a bunch of different things. Um, 
and just see what sticks. And this might not work in a month. I might find that it's not working, but I will say that it has helped me get my tasks in order of the things I need to do today. And if I don't get them done today, it's still there for me to do tomorrow. And I like the way that I can interact with it. And it's been very helpful to see multiple task lists at once all the time. When I go to the single app, the Google Keep app, I can see all of them like a bunch of sticky notes, which is also something that I've used most of my life and continue to use. Um, and it's just been helpful. So I, I pass that along to you. And I feel like some of the things that I sort of touched upon in this intro might come up later. Um, we're going to talk about basically three things. Essentially, each episode of Three Swings before the season starts is essentially three things in regards to baseball. But um, I also just want to say... Uh, I'm very grateful to all of you for listening to this podcast and for supporting it so much. We are going to do a live show. It's been announced in Washington, D.C. at the Kennedy Center for um, the Future Is Festival, which is a new podcast-based slash focused uh, festival run by uh, Brightest Young Things, who also put on Benson Ball. So that's going to be on March 28th. Um, tickets are on sale. You can get those at, at my website, which is uh, riabutcher.com slash live dates slash. There's also, I'm working on some guests for that. So hopefully it's going to be fantastic. Either way, it's going to be fantastic. Um, I, I really enjoyed doing the Denver live show. So I'm really looking forward to this one as well because it's a lot of fun to do this show live. It's honestly terrifying to me. So I'm enjoying doing things that are terrifying uh, within reason, obviously. Um, I also have some shows coming up in March. I will be in Kansas City. That's in Missouri on March 12th at the Comedy Club of Kansas City. That's 8 p.m. Tickets are on my website. On Friday the 13th, I'll be in Tol Tulsa, Oklahoma. Excuse me. Sorry, Tulsa. Probably getting a tattoo during the day because I would love to get a Friday the 13th tattoo. So if you have any good suggestions for good tattoo shops in Tulsa, please let me know. That's at Duet Jazz at 8 p.m. And then on Saturday, the 14th of March, I'll be at the waiting room in Omaha, Nebraska. That's right, Merv. Uh, at 8 p.m. Tickets are on sale now. And like I said, on the 28th, I'll be doing three swings, this podcast, at the Kennedy Center in D.C., and then uh, Wednesday, the 22nd of April, I'll be at the Improv in San Antonio. One second. I'm going to see what's up with Murph. He seems to be all right. Sorry about that. It's going to be a weird edit. Maybe. I don't think it's going to be edited. Nah, he's not okay. Look, sometimes dogs bark when you record your podcast at home. This is what happens. So I'll be at the Improv in San Antonio, Texas on the 22nd of April. And then uh, the 23rd through the 24th, I will be at the Moon Tower Comedy Festival in Austin, Texas. It's my first year being there at the festival. I've been to Austin many times. I love that city. I also have never been to San Antonio before, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, please, please, please buy tickets to these shows. I would love to sell them all out. Um, the live comedy is how I am surviving <laughs> right now. So please support live comedy. I promise you, I will give it back when I can. Um, we will be back right after this to discuss those three things in baseball that have been the biggest news in the past couple weeks. 
That was a very long intro. <laughs> I, my intros are usually like 10 minutes. I'm sorry about the 20 minutes. I mean, I, I, I don't want to apologize really for that. That's not something to apologize for. I also uh, wanted to mention that I was in Bloomington, Indiana over the weekend. If anybody saw on my Instagram, I was shooting a sizzle reel for um, a show that I'm putting together with some really wonderful folks that then we're going to try to pitch and hopefully make. Um, I would really love to make it. Uh, I don't know what kind of details I can get into on my podcast right now, but it is a show that uh, I feel like many of you would support and love and, and be interested in. So, um, you know, keep a lookout for that. I uh, uh, It was a great experience. People were gracious enough to allow not just me, but a, a crew of people into their homes and um, into their workplaces and neighborhoods. And, uh, you know, I'm just really grateful for that. And, and the people that I got to meet was very wonderful and uh you know i haven't been to bloomington in uh over in about 15 years probably somewhere around there um so it was really great to be in that town and like man the weather was shit and it was a real experience our sprinter van got stuck in the mud three times um and the the makeup person is the one that got us out of the mud. And she was like, I work for Amazon a bunch and these vans are shit. So <laughs> that was a pretty wonderful experience. And um, just want to say uh, people, uh, I feel like people have an idea of what hair and makeup is at, at, on a set. And um, sometimes those people are even people who work on sets. And hair and makeup is the, the heart and soul of a production. And it demands your respect and they demand your dignity. That trailer, if there is one, is the one place that you can go and find peace and quiet and heart and kindness um, and usually warm towels. Um, and sometimes the hair and makeup person is the is the person that's going to get you out of the mud. So much respect to hair and makeup. Um, find your spots where you think you know what you know and uh, uh, shine some light on them. That's kind of all that I wanted to say about that. So uh, the big, we've got the big trade. There's rumors going around about Nolan Arenado again, which also involved Chris Bryant again. I am, there was a little like gossipy kind of uh, sort of like backbiting sort of thing going on on Twitter uh, a couple days ago. I um, have spent so little time interacting on the internet that A, I get almost no likes on my tweets anymore. B, they're mostly about baseball. And C, my feed is almost entirely just baseball. And you know what? I feel liberated. Um, I It's great. It's, it's honestly fantastic. I will go on. I've set screen time limits. I The other day I used social media for 22 minutes. Um, if I don't need to use it, I don't. It's been pretty wonderful. And yeah, I do need to use it for my job. But Twitter, it's not my job. So I just happened to witness a bit of a like a fight between Joe Madden and Theo Epstein. Not an active one, but just like uh, the media kind of drumming one up. And then also seeming like there was a... It wasn't just that like Joe Madden wanted to go somewhere else. Um, they had very, very different outlooks on the way they wanted to approach the new seasons. And you know, I love this game. And sometimes loving something hurts a lot. And uh, I feel a little bit like this year might hurt for me. <laughs> I'm not trying to borrow any trouble, but there are just some things on the horizon that are that, that have already caused some pain that I have learned, practiced dealing with, and it will continue. 
And, uh, you know, there's also been a lot of growth for me. However, the, the way that the sort of corporate aspect of the game is moving, um, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to involve myself in this thing this year. It, it remains to be seen. Um, I will say that, uh, that introduction of, of the new, which, uh, bench coach Brett gave me some fantastic notes. The one thing that he did leave out and I, I neglected to send to him was, uh, that whole new postseason plan that the MLB is, is if, one, it feels like they're trying to implement this bonkers postseason plan so that, uh, it, it will come up in, in the, the thing that I'm about to talk about, but, um, we don't do a deep dive into it. It seems like they're trying to be like, Hey, look over here. Stop looking at the Astros. Um, and it, it might work. I don't know. Uh, but let's get into I'll get into our first, our, our first sort of thing in the baseball front. Um, on Tuesday, the Dodgers and Red Sox officially finalized a trade that sends outfielder Mookie Betts, the 2018 MVP and veteran pitcher, David Price, the 2012 Cy Young to the Dodgers in return for three top young prospects, outfielder Alex Verdugo, who we'll come back to in a moment, uh, shortstop Jeter Downs and catcher Connor Wong. Uh, this is also our source for this is the Boston Herald. Um, and this trade was going back and forth for quite some time so long that people were commenting on it on Twitter. People, I could you I, imagine being David Price and Mookie Betts and feeling like, oh, well, I'm going. No, I'm not. Okay, I'm going. No, I'm not. Um, just kind of removing the humanity of many of these folks for a very long weekend. Um, Price has three years left on his contract, and Betts is in the final year of his contract and has stated he will enter the free agent market after this season. So that means they traded for Mookie Betts for one year. He's essentially a one-year rental, and then he's going to go go into the market. Um, if I was going to make a prediction today, it would be that he does end up going back to the Red Sox. However, I don't know that that makes financial sense for anyone, but that's just what I'm going to guess. Um, the Red Sox also sent cash to the Dodgers as part of the deal uh, to the tune of $48 million. Um the feedback on the trade has largely been critical of the Red Sox and their first year head of baseball operations, Heim Bloom. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, the trade was clearly motivated by fi financial decisions on the part of the Red Sox so that they could get under the luxury tax threshold for the upcoming season and avoid paying a penalty. So to me, that's a sad part of baseball, that there are these luxury taxes and the point is don't pay them, you know? Um, we have taxes in this country and no one wants to pay taxes. We all pay them and no one wants to pay them. It does not matter what side of the aisle you were on, but no one wants to pay them. What's funny though, is that the people who want to pay them the least are the people who, who either benefit the most from them or, or it matters the least for them to pay them because they have so much money. Um, hopefully that makes sense. I'm going to take one more Murph break. One sec. So it's just a sad, it's just a sad place to me for baseball to be simply only about money. I've never, I've said this many times on here. I am not naive. I do not think this is a not-for-profit organization. However, when the only motivation seems to be money and not like being kind to your players in any way, it seemed to me that Mookie Betts 
would probably love to stay in Boston and be a Red Sox for the rest of his life, um, it's more important that they not pay a luxury tax than keep that player. Um, the Boston media in particular has been very critical of the trade and the direction it represents for the Red Sox. And this is from the Boston Herald's Tom Keegan. So this is essentially a direct quote from his piece. Dealing bets and David Price and half of his salary enabled the Red Sox payroll to slip under the 208 luxury tax threshold, which allowed them to reset to the lowest penalty level once they go back over the soft salary cap next year instead of paying a 62% tax on the overage amount. It obviously was the motivation for the foolish trade. Yet, in his first meeting with reporters this spring, Heim Bloom said, the CBT was not a major factor in us deciding to do this deal as much as it was a goal for us this offseason. They're intertwined, obviously, but beyond that, it's interesting to hear Bloom confirm that getting under the threshold was a goal, which is consistent with what owner John Henry said in a September 27 meeting with reporters. This year, we need to be under the CBT. That is something that we've known for more than a year now. Don't doubt that for a second. They knew the rules, knew how punitive going over the threshold again was going to be, which of course begs an obvious question. Why sign Nathan Eovaldi to a contract that pays him $17 million per year and Chris Sale to one that pays him $29 million per? Why are pitchers, at risk of injury, more important to the Red Sox than keeping one of the top players in baseball? I would also like to add that both of those guys have had Tommy John surgery and Nathan Eovaldi has had numerous Tommy John surgeries. It simply doesn't add up. Did Boston already know when they signed Eovaldi and then months later sailed that they had no intention of making Mookie a member of the Red Sox for life? My guess, to interject into the quote right here, is yes. Other recent baseball news makes the Mookie trade even tougher to stomach. As first reported by Joel Sherman of the New York Post, Major League Baseball is pondering expanding the playoffs. Here we go from five teams per league to seven and expanding the wild card round from one game to a best of three series as soon as 2022. Mark your calendars for the year that I might be done with men's professional baseball. The plan calls for a TV show that would feature the teams with the top two records from each league choosing their first round opponents. Reality TV. Game show. Who wouldn't watch that show? Me. Which would draw top advertising dollars. The extra revenue from that wrinkle and from other sources since the last basic agreement between the owners and players was hatched, no doubt, would lead to the luxury tax thresholds going way higher in the next basic agreement. The current deal expires at the end of the 2021 season. So all the Red Sox had to do was pay the luxury tax this year, an estimated $17 million, the cost of Nathan Eovaldi, and if unable to get under the 2021 threshold of $210 million again next year. The following year, the threshold likely will be much higher, so it would have been no problem from 2022 on to keep Mookie and not get hammered by taxes. Watching the Red Sox operate so impulsively, wildly shifting Fiscal policy from year to year calls to mind riding shotgun to someone learning to drive. Way too heavy on the gas pedal, followed by way too heavy on the brake. Where is the consistency? So that is a quote from an article. These are not my thoughts except for the ones that I have clearly interjected. Um, I don't like to get into the weeds of all of this stuff, but to me, it's clearly 
a matter of Moneyball that has gone the opposite direction where instead of it being a team that doesn't have a lot of money trying to do the best with what it can, we are looking at a team with a lot of money trying to make even more money, which is, seems to be the case for most teams. Um, and look, it's capitalism. I can't, I, this is not, we're not trying to like, they're not trying to cure any ills of society, but if baseball gets to be this non-monopoly thing and essentially be a monopoly, then shouldn't we have some sort of, shouldn't they have some sort of responsibility? No. Essentially, they, they've been given responsibility-free operation by the government. Um, we also, ho hopefully next episode, we'll check back in with the sort of minor league stuff that's been going on. Um, to flip to the other side, I watched the, the, the uh, press conference with Mookie and with David Price. They both seem happy to be in Los Angeles. I feel like Mookie is sad to leave Boston. I mean, he seemed to have like a home there, you know? Um, and yeah, I can't imagine what that's like. I personally, as someone who enjoys watching the Dodgers play, am very happy that he's going to be on this team. I think he's a great addition. I think that it solidifies an already incredibly strong offensive lineup, um, gives us an even better outfielder. Curious to see where everybody moves around. I'm excited to watch Kike Hernandez and Mookie Betts play baseball together. That seems like a fun pair. Um, <clears throat> also, just like something to point out, all of a sudden there are two black American baseball players on the Los Angeles Dodgers, something that hasn't happened in quite some time. I don't have the actual data on that, but the last black player that they had on their team was Curtis Granderson, and before that was Andrew Tolls. And I don't think either of them played on the team at the same time due to injury, call-ups, all kinds of stuff. Um, so, you know, the team of Jackie Robinson now finally has more than one African-American, black American baseball player on it. Um, which is important. I think, um, it's also not enough, but, uh, it's also something to notice. Um, and just like shout out to my friend Jamil Smith for pointing that out to me. Um, it, that's, a, that's a positive thing. And we will get even more into that after our next story. Um, so our next, our next, uh, topic you might have guessed is the Astros players, quote, apologizing for sign stealing. A source on this is ESPN. Um, and I did watch all the videos, as many as I could stomach. Um, after evading questions about the Astros sign stealing scandal for the past several weeks, over a month, Astros fan franchise players Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman, both key members of the 2017 World Series championship team, apologized on Thursday for their role in the scandal as the team kicked off spring training in West Palm Beach, Florida. This is Alex Bregman. I am really sorry about the choices that were made by my team, by the organization, and by me. I have learned from this, and I hope to regain the trust of baseball fans. Um, I would also say you should watch the video. Um, if you're if you haven't yet, you should watch it. Um, like the way he holds his hands, um, and the way he, the way he says this um, is not. I don't. I don't doubt that this guy doesn't mean it to some extent. Um, however, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like he means it. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, it's, it's like, I, I'm, I'm trying to thread the needle here where, uh, I do think he, he probably has some remorse. I, I do, I do get the feeling though, that all of these guys 
regret getting caught and regret it being such a big deal. Um, and like, that's a real thing. I have felt that way in my life. I have felt like the thing I regret most is that I was caught for being not nice or not kind or like many things. I ha I haven't cheated in the world series, so that's not something I've, I've needed to take responsibility for, but I guess that's what it is. Is there, there's a lack of t when a, a true apology, um, is taking responsibility for something that you know you did wrong. Um, and that is what's missing. And that is why I meant, and, and like, look, there's always going to be people that are not satisfied. And it's not a question of whether I'm satisfied or not. I won't be satisfied because being satisfied would mean, uh, not having cheated. So that's just like impossible. Right. So setting that aside, um, the, the, the sort of turn that these apologies always have, like, and now we're focused on moving forward. Like, um, that's all fine and good, but are you focused on moving forward and not doing stuff like this anymore? Are you focused on like, um, on, on paying back into the integrity of the game and understanding that, that what you did, the road that you went down drove away from the integrity of the game. And that that's the problem that people have. I, it, I don't think so. Um, and then, uh, Altuve, the, the sort of beloved, the, the most beloved Astro, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and someone who I can, every time I see his name and now every time I see his face, um, <clears throat> I can hear Joe Buck saying the purest hitter. And now I just don't believe it. And like, that's their fault. You know what I mean? Like that's on him. And like, if he gets it, it th that is the thing is like, look, they did stand in front of people in front of cameras and they apologized. So now we do all move forward. Now we do all see what happens. And like, this will follow them unless it somehow gets scrubbed from all recognition. And like, look, the MLB has barely covered it. Like MLB as a media entity entity has done a good job of keeping it pretty far away. I was surprised that when I opened the app today, I, I saw that there were like Astros apologized to the press or whatever, um, because they have not made mention of it until very recently for that reason. I think, um, and I understand they can't revise history because that's not how it works. And if you do that, then it starts, it's a slippery slope and I get it. Um, but here is the thing. This will be in mention with the world series for a while. This is big enough that in baseball, it will be mentioned if not by baseball itself by, by the, the, the beating heart of baseball, which is not the MLB. The beating heart of baseball is the collective soul of baseball, which is those who love and participate in it. And that is what they did. That is what they hurt. Not the trophy, not this, not that, not, it's not spilt milk. It's not this. It's not that. It's like, you did do that. There's a reason why. That kid in the movie, Eight Men Out, says, say it ain't so, Joe. Say it ain't so. Because it was wrong. It was wrong. And, like, kids are watching, man. 
kids are watching. Kids are watching. So I at least appreciate that they apologized. I appreciate that they did it, that they humbled themselves enough to stand at the podium and say that. And I can nitpick it and I can say not good enough. I can also say, all right, they did do that. They did do that. They did do that. Altuve said the Astros had a great team meeting on Wednesday night and said the whole Astros organization feels bad for what happened in 2017, which is funny to not say any specifics because you won the World Series in 2017. There's an asterisk by that word one. Uh, I especially feel remorse for the impact on our fans in the game of baseball. There you go. Uh, the apologies are a change from their responses at the team's fan fest last month when neither player showed remorse for his actions. I think that they have been coached. I think they've been told this is the right thing to do. I can get into the weeds about is a, a business advisor coming in telling you to do this the right thing? No, I can do that. I can say that. Should you be doing this because it is actually the right thing to do? Yes, but I can't make somebody apologize the way I want them to. Uh, I, you can try. <laughs> you can certainly try. But that is something that someone has to come to on their own. And I don't know what path these guys are on. We, we, uh, more will be revealed, and we will see. I think it's interesting to me that the, the 2017 World Series MVP, uh, George Springer, who wasn't hitting at all and all of a sudden in the World Series lit up, um, has been pretty silent. Um, I also think that, like, I've seen some Carlos Correa stuff, um, which is going to come up in a second. It's not actually looking at my notes um, where he did like take some responsibility, but then also is really good at like splitting the hair and saying that the report didn't find it in 2018 or 2019. So I'm not taking responsibility. Like <clears throat> these guys are on, they're on a journey and like, I'm curious to see, you know, when it happens, what, you know, 2030 Jose Altuve has to say, 2035 Alex Bregman has to say once these guys have been through it have gone like we do not know what's going to happen we really don't and I will say they 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 are in for it like it's going to happen because I know what the sport is like I know what its fans are like um and they're going to get booed on the road pretty hardcore pretty hardcore and it's going to be humbling and it's going to be interesting and I hope people keep it civil I know that doesn't that sounds ridiculous to be like, keep your booing civil, but like, look, man, the things you do come back on you. And it is just true. It's just true. And am I going to be reveling in it? I don't know. Um, I would much rather see people take the high road and I'm not sure what the high road looks like, but, um, I think it, I, I, it remains to be seen what's going to happen. I mean, I just, these guys, and when I say these guys, I mean this whole organization. They are prepped. They know how to evade these questions. They did something that is illegal by the rules of this organization, of, of Major League Baseball. They've gotten away with it. And they are really good at evading taking responsibility for this. I think the thing that that was the most telling is that Jim Crane was speaking out of both sides of his mouth saying that it did not affect the game and then saying seconds later that it did affect the game. They don't know. I know that I won the world series. Also, I shouldn't have to take responsibility for this. Well, I think personally, if you, uh, 
are not going to take responsibility for what happens in your clubhouse. You should not be referred to as an owner. Um, look up the definitions of own ownership owner. Um, and that is part of it. So this, this is, this is that part of America about American capitalist capitalism, uh, where you want to own the thing, but you don't want responsibility for it. You want the profits, but you don't want to work for it. You want, you want to take labor. You don't want to pay people for it. You want to walk in and say you put in a hard day's work and that has mostly consisted of glad handing with other people who look just like you and who make as much money as you do. And you really just want to make money off of the thing and, and win the awards and get the prestige and stand up there and say, I don't want to take responsibility for this. When in fact, like a real owner of something would say, this is my clubhouse. I, I, I participated in this, whether it was directly or indirectly, this is my team and I take responsibility. That's not necessarily the age we're living in. I don't know that we've ever lived in that age, but it has happened before. Um, and so that's not something we're going to get. And I think that's what we're all looking for. However, we can all in our own lives see where we could be doing those things. And that's how we actually make change. That's how the world gets a little bit better. Not by screaming at the people who benefit the most from doing the worst things. That's not going to do it. Um, <clears throat> by treating each other with kindness and taking responsibility for our own actions and then trying to do better after we take responsibility for our own actions, that is the only way that we can make change in the world. Um, and so, yes, I can have criticisms of these things, but it doesn't really make a difference. You know, it allows for me to make a podcast, but it doesn't make a difference. What makes a difference is the way I conduct my life and the way I treat other people um, every day, each day. And if I did it not so great yesterday, I get a chance to do it again today. So I get to try to do a little bit better every day that I get the opportunity to wake up. Um, more players were made available later in the team's clubhouse. Yuli Gurriel said... No one put a gun to our head, and it would be a lie to say that one or two people are responsible. Uh, Guriel was also responsible for another controversy in the 2017 World Series, receiving a five-game suspension for making a racist gesture in regards to Dodgers pitcher Yu Darvish after hitting a home run off him in Game 3, a game that was played at Houston's Minute Maid Park, which that gives... I mean, A, I'm, I, I, I'm glad that he said those things. Those are, those are important things to say. Um, and B, it just does really pull that whole conversation that we had around that gesture into starker relief, which I never believed it to not be racist. And like, sure, if that guy didn't intend it to be racist, I understand that you say like, look, I see now that this is not something that a person like me is going to do anymore. Um, which is not something they did and everybody dug in harder and the Houston fans in the stadium, it was just a sad thing. I also am just going to say that the fans that were in that stadium are people who can afford to go to a world series. Um, and Justin Verlander who joined the Astros in August of 2017 said he wishes he had done more to try to stop what was happening. Once I spent some time and understood what was happening, I wish I had said more. I can't go back and reverse my decision. I wish I had said more, and I didn't. I would also like to just point out that he's a guy who was laughing at the Baseball Writers Association about the, quote, data that the Astros have had. And, and there's, there's myriad video of all these guys being super smug about the data that they've got. It's on tape. We've seen you now. Um, and that Wall Street Journal article really blows the lid off the whole thing. The fact that they had a budget for this 
and that they had code and they had software for it is is way beyond what anybody's really talking about when we talk about sign stealing. Um, and so, and referring to it as dark arts, I think, you know, they're going to, it's going to be hard for them to hold their heads up and they're going to have to. And that's the challenge of life is you do something bad, you say sorry, and then you, you have to hold your head up and go do the job and not do the thing you apologized for again. And I'm looking forward to them not mugging for the camera every time they do something good. But they probably will, and we'll we'll see what happens. New Astros manager Dusty Baker, who bears no responsibility for this whatsoever, um, also would like to just point out Clinton Yates on Twitter saying, Astros got Dusty Baker falling on the sword for something he ain't even do on the 100th anniversary of the Negro League, Negro National League's creation. This is America. Um, I tend to agree. Uh, and I feel somewhat as though this is why Dusty Baker was hired because they knew he would fall in his sword. I, I just, I, I don't, I feel like it's too complicated for me to really get into it. And I w- would probably say something that comes across a way that I don't intend. And so what I mean is I, it just, it, the high, I'm happy that Dusty Baker has a job, but like, I'm, I'm not happy that that's the job that he has. Um, he hopes that his players will be forgiven by fans and other players. I asked the baseball world to forgive them for the mistakes that they made, he said. So more will be revealed. The way that they play, the way that they ask for forgiveness every day that they show up to play Major League Baseball, that they are graced with the opportunity to do so, will allow for us to forgive them. So we'll see how that goes. Um, And speaking to the single-player aspect of it, Carlos Beltran... Uh, has been identified as the, quote, godfather of the sign-stealing scandal, and this is according to The Athletic. Uh, After Carlos Beltran, the former Astros player and recently fired Mets manager, denied last year that he was even aware of a center field camera in Houston's Minute Maid Park, let alone illegal sign-stealing, a new report emerged this week in The Athletic claiming that Beltran not only knew of the illegal scheme, but was a key figure in orchestrating and maintaining it throughout the season. According to the report, Beltran was the ringleader when it came to the scheme and ignored the protests of some coaches and teammates. The report specifically mentions an encounter between Beltran and Astros catcher Brian McCann, in which McCann expressed concern about the extent of the sign-stealing operation and Beltran, quote, disregarded it and steamrolled everybody. The source of this account is an unnamed member of the 2017 Astros who also remarked, quote, where do you go if you're a young, impressionable player with the Astros and this guy says, we're doing this, what do you do? I would say, go to the front office and then you find out, oh, the front office is in on it too? You go to your manager and you say, what's up with this? And then the manager says, oh, there's nothing we can do? I don't know. I don't know what you do. Go to the press? If you really think that it's wrong, then you find someone to help you with it. But I also understand what they're trying to say. What do you do if you're a young guy with this organization? I don't know. I don't know. But you you know something's wrong. You get some advice from somebody that you trust. That's what you do. So I say this to anybody else who's in this sort of position because we've all been in this position every in, in our lives where somebody something is going on that's wrong You see something, you say something. But here's what we don't talk about. We don't talk about who you say something to. And who you say something to is someone you trust. And that is probably somebody outside of the situation. So, 
you find someone that you trust. Not one you're not someone you're supposed to trust. Someone that you actually trust. And you talk to them about it. And you take the pause, like I was saying up top about scheduling. And you do that. And then you get advice from somebody. And you take some time. You don't just go along with it. So we have an update from Sports Illustrated, which is while speaking to reporters at spring training on Thursday, Carlos Correa refuted the recent report that Beltran intimidated players during the team's 2017 scheme. Seems like they don't all have their stories straight. Uh, the thing that I, the thing I have a problem with when I read that report was that we were scared of him or felt intimidated. We didn't feel scared of him. We didn't feel intimidated. He was the nicest guy that we could ever have, Correa said. Beltran was the leader of the clubhouse, but we all had a say in everything we were doing in there. Whatever he said and whatever we were doing, we had the chance to stop it as a team. Everybody. Everybody had the chance to say something, and we didn't. That's what you apologize for. That's what you apologize for. You had a chance, and you didn't. And yes, that affected the World Series. And I say this as a fan of baseball. You don't know that you win the World Series without that. Just like I have said before, I don't know that the Dodgers win the World Series without the Astros cheating. But I don't, I, I know for damn sure that it affected them in losing it. So, <laughs> therefore, it affected the World Series. They were playing against a team who knew what pitch was coming. And they can say that it gives them a slight edge all they want. That's batting practice. So, as far as I'm concerned, it affected the World Series. And I might be the only person that thinks that for the rest of my time on earth. And that's okay. I'm not going to be bitter about it. The only thing I'm going to be is sure about it. It nothing. There's nothing they can say that will change that belief about it. But there, there is many things that they can do to make me feel as though the Astros organization believes in baseball as an institution that has integrity, that should be respected, that has run alongside this country. I don't believe that they believe that. And I'm allowed to feel that way. And I don't run on it. It's not like powering everything. I just don't think that that organization respects a game the way that I do. We have a fundamental disagreement on that. And that's okay. And like, I look at that and I go, cool. Okay. This is what I believe. That's what you believe. Great. And one is not better than the other. I, that's just my belief system. So to wrap it up, I do want to wrap up uh, with a positive-ish thing. Uh, the Negro Leagues Centennial is today, the f- the 13th of February. Um, this source com- is the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. I have uh, traveled to both. There's one in Birmingham, Alabama, and there's one in Kansas City. I highly recommend if you are a baseball fan, that you make it to both. And if you can only make it to one, make it to one. They're both great. Um, the one in Birmingham is right around the corner from the Birmingham Barons Stadium where Michael Jordan played and was formerly uh, the Birmingham Black Barons. Uh, this year represents the centennial anniversary of the Negro Leagues, which was founded on February 13th, 1920. 
when Andrew Rube Foster led eight independent black baseball team owners into a meeting held at the Paseo YMCA in Kansas City, Missouri. Out of that meeting came the birth of the Negro National League, the first successful organi- the first successful organized professional black baseball league that provided a playing field for African American and Hispanic baseball players to showcase their world-class baseball abilities. I would say a professional playing field. The Negro Leagues would operate for 40 years, becoming a catalyst for economic growth in African-American communities across the country and helped spark social change in America. I do just want to say that that is some, the, we do not necessarily understand when we look back and we see these things like the Negro Leagues, the effect that something like that had. It's often fair to look at the Negro Leagues as a product of segregation, but I beg of you to also look at the positive aspects of the Negro Leagues, which is a catalyst for economic growth in African-American communities across the country and helped to spark social change in America. The fact that it existed, segregated or not, helped grow African-American countries across the country. Not African-American communities. Because these men were playing professional baseball. They were segregated out of the good hotels. They had to stay in shitty hotels. And then guess what? Black-owned hotels started to exist because of these things. These are, these are positives out of negatives. Uh, this Thursday, officials at the Negro League's Baseball Museum in Kansas City, Missouri, announced plans to lead a year-long National Centennial Celebration in 2020 to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Negro Leagues and unveiled the official logo for the occasion. Go to the Three Swings Twitter and Instagram to check out that logo. What Rube Foster accomplished in establishing the Negro Leagues against the backdrop of American segregation is monumental and richly deserves to be more than just a footnote in baseball history, said Bob Kendrick, the NLBM president. The Negro Leagues would change the game and America too. This milestone anniversary creates a platform for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum to educate the public about this powerful story of triumph over over adversity while using the many relevant life lessons to inspire a nation to embrace diversity and inclusion, Kendrick said. The NLBM has several events and campaigns planned throughout the year to commemorate the centennial. Check out their website, nlbm.com, for updates. I also just want to mention that there are a few things about the Negro Leagues that we perhaps don't know. Maybe on this podcast we do, but I just want to put them out there if you're not a, a, a baseball historian, baseball fan. Um, the, the Negro Leagues was not just a league for essentially people of color at the time. It was the first league to allow women to play professionally. We've got uh, Tony Stone and Connie Morgan, and we've also got Mamie Peanut Johnson. And there were also female owners in the Negro Leagues, one of which named Effa Manley. So... Not only was the Negro Leagues a place for racial diversity, but it was also a place for gender diversity, which is something that we've never had in the in men's major league baseball. Um, and many people argue that uh, the the dissolution of Negro Leagues actually hurt uh, the inclusion of and integration of baseball. And I would say that's probably true. Less black people 
are playing baseball now than they ever have um, in terms of professional baseball p- p- players. Uh, Henry Aaron, who, who was a Negro League baseball player, said as much in an interview recently. Um, and so hopefully the outreach of the museum um, and perhaps Major League Baseball will say anything about it. Uh, perhaps we can learn from this and we can grow the foundation of uh, the the rich history of black and Latinx uh, players in America um, to that. I don't know that maybe there's a little outreach or new understanding. Um, mostly it's like accessibility to the game. It's too expensive. And all scouting is done with these travel teams that you have to have like money to be able to get into and you need equipment and, and, and the, the, the cost of entrance is too high these days. Um, but there are lessons to be learned. And I, I, I really, I really hope that let's all just this year take a little bit of a deeper dive into this league and gain some, some interest in it. Um, if we didn't have the Negro leagues, we wouldn't have baseball the way we have it today. And I, I was, I was actually very saddened and frustrated by the lack of mention of, of the, the Homestead Grays in regards to the Washington Nationals World Series run. And some people on social media, you know, took me to task for it. And one time I got the dates wrong, whatever. But my whole point was, what is the point of having the like one day a year when Major League Baseball wears Negro League jerseys and plays each other? And then the one day a year that everybody wears Jackie Robinson's number and it's incredibly moving, but what is the point of doing those things? Those big flashy show things. If then in the world series, you completely forget that those teams ever existed, that those teams ever won a world series, that the Cleveland baseball team. Yeah. Won a world series in 1948. And that was the last one. But before that, the Cleveland Buckeyes won in 1945. If the Negro Leagues is part of the rich history of Major League Baseball, then it should be included at all times. It's not a distraction. It's an integral part of it. And it creates a richer, more diverse fabric of the sport that we love when we talk about all of it all the time. And do I think that it was a conspiracy? Do I think they were trying to do that? I don't know. Maybe. Or do I think that people were just neglecting to include it? I, it could be both. But I think it's important to always remember everything. And this whole episode has been about integrity, right? This whole conversation is what, what, is, the, what is the integrity of the game mean to you? Well, the integrity of the game means to me not remembering every single guy on every single team or every single person that's ever played the game, but to remember that a lot of people have and to make sure that we include the people who have played the game in ways that aren't just this one way. There's been a lot of people that have played this beautiful game, and I just want to remember all of them. So if you can do that this year, let's, 
let's all just, I don't know, pay more attention to the history of the game and have a wider view of what that means to all of us. Um, so I appreciate you listening to the show. This one's, Hey, another hour in the can. Thanks for listening to the ads. Thanks for buying the things in the ads. Thanks for buying the stuff on the shows. Thanks for sending me my baseball card to have me sign it. I'm going to sign all those and get them out to you soon. I promise. I really appreciate it. And it's honestly a dream come true to have a bunch of your own baseball card come back to you for you to sign. Um, it's a cool thing. So I'm going to do that. And uh, please come to those shows if you can. I would really love to see you. Um, again, all those shows are up on my website. That's reabutcher.com slash live dates slash. And as always, if you liked it, you liked it. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.